0: Right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Mazen & Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that is here to remind you that though your life might not be perfect, at least your coach didn't resign in disgrace on the eve of National Signing Day. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of com. Andy, you celestial pirate, sailing the Milky Way galaxy in search of booty. How the hell are you, my friend? <laughs>
1: I'm doing well, man. It's probably my favorite intro of yours so far, especially with the, the little shot at Lansing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Happy to happy to help you. It's been a minute since we've been here to talk sports, so good to be back.
1: I know. It's like, you know, there's a void in my life and I realized just we haven't spoken and gotten each other's, you know, mildly hot, lukewarm takes on sports or pop culture.
0: No, no, it's been missing. And I mean, sports has kind of been lame since we last talked. And then there was the Kobe Bryant death, which was I don't have any jokes for because that's awful and uh, still resonates a little bit. There was the Super Bowl in there, recruiting dead period and Michigan basketball hasn't really been much to talk about. So, I mean, it'll be good to, to get back and talk sports and in a positive light.
1: Yeah. And talk about the good that was football season instead of focusing on the bad
0: absolutely and that's what we're gonna do tonight in the awards podcast second annual or third annual i want to say we did this our first year too something similar to this
1: i think we did i mean you and i are always big on the academy awards anyway and just discussing movies any chance we get so we'll say third we might be wrong but it's okay
0: yeah, yeah, we might be wrong. It's at least second annual with this kind of format where we talk a little bit about movies of the year and our picks for who might win at the Academy Awards or who we think should win. But more importantly, we talk about the football season that was and we give our awards. Uh, got some different categories this year, broke it down a little differently. So we're going to look at 2019 year in review, the season that was, and uh, we'll hand out some grades, some awards for this one.
1: Yeah, there should be interesting discussion around all of the categories and the awards we give out. There's not going to be any negative categories, not like worst play of the year or anything like that. We're here to focus on the good and just celebrate this team for a lot of good moments that happened this season.
0: You know, for two natural pessimists that believe that everything sucks, we're, we're pretty optimistic when it comes to Michigan football and Michigan basketball, just sports in general.
1: Yeah, I would say like, I think that's where our sports optimism has to be rooted in something because outside of this, we're both kind of like, what's the purpose of life besides spending it with your loved ones? And we hate everything else. And it's just like, we need this just unguarded passion of Michigan football for a release.
0: Exactly. Yeah, when people like crack open the the basement door to me down here recording for the fourth hour, it's like, Leave me
1: alone, I need this. The world <laughs> I'm like, stop talking to me! My wife's just staring at me as I'm scouring over articles about 17-year-olds in high school. Like, I'm grinding tape!
0: <laughs> I'm grinding tape! I have to know! I gotta know what Eman Dennis's 40 is, and there's no numbers. I have to measure it.
1: <laughs> Andre Selden says he's five eight. I think he's five seven. I'm a little worried. Your thoughts, Casey. She just stares at me blankly.
0: Just like the your meatloaf is beyond cold. I want a <laughs> divorce. <avoid. laughs>
1: I'm taking the house, the cats, and your dignity's long gone. So you can have that.
0: Oh, man. Speaking of dignity being gone, Mark D'Antonio resigned in disgrace about three hours before we started this podcast. I think we need to touch on that.
1: Yeah, it was shocking. And can't help more allegations this time of NCAA violations surrounding recruiting. Sexual assault allegations have been out there for over a year now. And now for National Signing Day, he's gone. It's. You can't help but kind of link all of it together.
0: Yeah, I mean, and part of me wants to chuckle because it's, been just an absolute dumpster fire of a program the last couple of years, and D'Antonio and Izzo both have just turned a blind eye to what's going on at that university. It seems like the entire, you know, the board, everyone involved at a managerial or leadership position has turned their back on what's been going on. Uh, but now, he, you know, he's officially reaping what he sows. The thing is, though, it's the university and the football program that's really going to pay here because of the timing of it he just got a bonus and he resigns in disgrace literally the day before national signing day.
1: Yeah. This reminds me of when Pete Carroll got out of USC before all the sanctions hit, he sees the writing on the wall. He just secured the bag and left
0: rough. I mean, even for somebody that hates Michigan state with a burning, burning fire within me, that is rough for that program, and it'll be interesting to see if they can climb their way out of this hole now. I'm hearing reports that Luke Fickle is the leader for that job there. I don't see how you could possibly want to take that over, especially if sanctions are coming.
1: Yeah, good luck luring anybody of real merit with those sanctions looming, but man, um, let's let me ask you something in retrospect now that D'Antonio has gone. With whoever they hire in the future, can anyone else bring three Big Ten titles, one Rose Bowl win, and a college football playoff win to them. Ignore everything off the field. I mean, that is what it is, but just on the field. Can anyone else replicate that at Michigan State's program?
0: Not unless they get similar good luck that he had. You need both Penn State and Michigan to be down in order to have that run. It doesn't happen without it, because, I mean, one of those two teams is going to get you every year that they made the run. Um, So he benefited from... Both of those guys being down, he recruited well there for a while, but as soon as Michigan and Penn State got back on track, that was pretty much over with, and I think you'll see closer to what Michigan State's ceiling is, and that's a 7-8 win team, not a 9-10 win team. Personally, that's how I see it. How, how about you?
1: I, th- I think you're right in that ballpark. You know, the 7-8-9-10 win team, good, but not great. One thing Mark D'Antonio did really well on the field was get the very most out of all of his players. He could spot talent, and he could develop it really well. But as you said, once other teams in the Big Ten East started coming back to prominence, the recruiting fell off a little bit. But he always milked every last drop of talent, and I admired that. And he always had his team up, ready to play the big games, even if they turned out to be blowouts like they did last year. They came out and took a 7-0 lead. They were always game for their big rivals.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree with that. And his rival against Michigan, um, or excuse me, his record against Michigan and that rivalry should pretty much tell you all that you need to know. Um, obviously, Jim Harbaugh the last couple years has started to flip that. And if you take away the botched punt, it's actually um, pretty dominant in favor of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. But he took advantage of the Rich Rod Brady Hoke's credit to him. He had some really good teams in there. Uh, I mean, way overperformed their recruiting rankings and where they should have been. So props to him. I kind of wanted him to stick around for another five, seven years, honestly, because we had his number now.
1: Yeah, his lawyers said the allegations today were frivolous. So I guess in in the finale, pride really did come before the fall.
0: Yeah, and in 2017, he said, it's not over. It'll never be over. Well, in 2018, you got beat by, what is 11 points, and then last year you got beat by 34, and now it's officially over. So sorry, Mark. Go home and enjoy fishing or painting model cars or whatever it is you're going to get into now, but it ain't coaching in a major program, so.
1: No, it was uh, 14 in 18, in 2018. Don't give them those extra three points. No, it was 14. It's over, Mark. Enjoy retirement.
0: I apologize. Yeah, enjoy retirement. Uh, You want to touch on basketball real quick? Uh, We both tuned in for the end of Michigan-Ohio State and it wasn't really the most uh, favorable outcome. Sorry I made you watch that.
1: (laughs) It's like, do I want to talk about this? Absolutely not. I don't. But the focus has never been this season. The expectations were low coming in for Juwan Howard this first season, but they skyrocketed after the first month of the year because of what they did. And the pre, in the early season tournaments, knocking off teams like Gonzaga. So they need to taper a little bit back down to where they should be, you know, maybe get in the tournament, just have a winning record, get the 20 wins, something like that. Next year's the focus. His recruiting speaks for itself. Just survive this year, develop the kids, build a culture. Everything will be fine.
0: Yeah, I'm not too worried. And as it stands right now, if you were watching the broadcast, both Michigan and Ohio State are in position to make the tournament where they sit right now. Now, Michigan needs to start winning some games. Uh, It's been a little rough ever since that early season tournament win. And, you know, the health of Isaiah Livers hasn't really helped with anything there. I mean, he's probably our best player. I would say he is our best player. He's the most NBA-ready player, at least. Um, So we either need Franz Wagner to step up while he's gone or we need him to get back healthy. But I don't want to boot on this season yet because there's like, who's the best team in the NCAA this year. This could be a wild, wild tournament and we just got to get in and and get healthy. And then who the hell knows? Um, I'm excited about this team here, but like you said, perfectly said it's about next year when we are going to have an absolute juggernaut of a basketball team.
1: Yeah. And to your point about this year is wild. We don't know who the best team is, and Michigan has proven when they get hot, especially when they're healthy with everybody at full strength, they can beat anybody in the country. So maybe they get hot for a month and go on a run and make the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 or even further. Something like that can happen. If they get to the tournament, this season's a big success. They get 20 wins. It's a big success. But we're not drawing anything in Sharpie about Juwan Howard for a few years.
0: No, absolutely not. You can't. I mean, you get to the tournament and you win your first game. I would say that's a great year. Um, And you see development from your young guys. Franz Wagner, David DeJulius is probably your starting point guard next year. You want to see him take some steps. Brandon Johns is starting to come on. He could be a huge piece next year. I'm not really in on Colin Castleton but you know you get some of these young guys going and then you bring in that recruiting class next year. This could be a great year for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them just being developmental and another reason being like we touched on is that it's wide open. So don't want to boot on this this season yet. We'll get more into basketball as uh, the season goes along, but I think it's about time to get into some awards for 2019. You ready for this, sir? Let's talk football, man. You know, that's where our bread and butter is made. So, uh, we got a couple categories here. We're going to mix this in with some Academy Awards talk, but this is a Michigan football podcast primarily. So, we're going to keep it there for the most part. So, the first category, this one is a pretty interesting one. Actually, there's a lot of these as we go through that I think aren't quite as cut and dry as you might believe this year. Kind of speaks to the depth of the team. But the first category, breakout player of the year so the player that we didn't really expect much from coming in that really took the took advantage of their snaps this season so uh, you want to run us through some of those nominees
1: yes yeah I got you our nominees are freshman receiver Giles Jackson redshirt freshman Jalen Mayfield at right tackle true freshman Zach Charbonnet tailback redshirt freshman Hassan Haskins at tailback is Cam McGrone a redshirt freshman or sophomore?
0: Uh, he, this year, was a redshirt freshman, I believe.
1: Yep, Cam McGrone, middle linebacker, and true freshman Dax Hill at safety. Do you want to go first on this one?
0: Uh, Yeah, let's kind of talk about it here, because I don't know which one I'm going to choose yet. I want to talk to you about this and see which way I want to go with this. Um, My my heart is leaning towards Askins, McGrone, or Jackson. Um, Charbonnet only because we really had high expectations for him. Now he lived up to those expectations and that was with a little bit of an injury, uh, early on in the season. Uh, but Giles, uh, Giles Jackson to me is a guy that, you know, kind of got overlooked. We were excited about him, but not in year one. So that's a guy that I'm really high on. But to me, I think Hassan Haskins because Hassan Haskins, we did the, the spring draft and neither of us even picked him. Like, we didn't even know he was going to be a guy that would see the field. And, I mean, we owe the Notre Dame victory to him. I mean, there was a point in the season where he was our bell cow. Charbonnet kind of took over towards the end of the season. Uh, and I could argue Haskins was underutilized against Ohio State and Alabama. Um, but I, I, I'm going with Hassan Haskins on this one. It's between him, McGrone, or Jackson for me. But I'll go Haskins. What do you think? <laughs>
1: This is why we get along so well, my friend. This is why everybody on this list, except for Hassan Haskins, you could have picked out hypothetically before the season and said, they're going to make an impact this year in some way or another. Hassan Haskins was not even on that radar. The only thing he was around for was depth. We thought he was moved back to running back out of necessity just to be a body. We had Christian Turner, True Wilson, Zach Charbonnet, Ben, the submarine back there, Ben Van Summeren, had a touchdown in the first game. Like, didn't expect much from him. Thought Ben Mason would get some carries. And Hassan Haskins came on like gangbusters. It's Hassan Haskins walking away, man, for everything you just said.
0: I like it. Yeah, we're in agreement there, especially for this category. Now, if it's best
1: player on the offense,
0: maybe not. But for breakout, that's correct. 622 yards rushing, four touchdowns. Could have been a lot more. I mean, was the player of the game against Notre Dame? Arguably and uh, is a huge piece moving forward. So we're in agreement there. Breakout Player of the Year, Hassan Haskins. All right, you want to take us into the next category?
1: Yes, next category on the menu is Dominant Performance of the Year. And going back through these, there were a lot more than I remembered from the season after that dark cloud hung over Ann Arbor after Ohio State came to town. Our nominees are Shea Patterson versus Michigan State. Went 24 of 30, uh, 33 for 384, four tutties. Hassan Haskins versus Notre Dame, 20 carries for 149. Cam McGrone versus Notre Dame, 13 tackles and a half sack. Josh Wild. Uche versus Illinois, three sacks, five tackles for loss. Huge game. I don't know. That's uh, one and a half for loss,
0: 0.5 sacks.
1: Oh, my bad. One and a half for loss, 0.5 sacks.
0: Army doesn't pass. So half a sack against Army, I mean, there's only like four dropbacks.
1: Oh, that was Aiden Hutchinson. I was talking about Josh Uche.
0: Oh, Josh Uche versus Illinois? Yeah. Oh, my bad. My bad. Yeah, you're correct. Three sacks, five tackles for loss.
1: There we go. Yeah, I'm going sideways on our dock. My bad go weird. (laughs) Jordan (laughs) Glasgow versus Iowa, nine tackles, two for loss, two sacks. Aiden Hutchinson versus Army, 10 tackles. One and a half for loss and a half sack. Ronnie Bell versus Michigan State with 150 receiving. Nico Collins versus Indiana, 165, three touchdowns. And Shea Patterson again against Indiana, 366 and five touchdowns. Jared, where do we begin?
0: (sighs) This is difficult. Let's kind of go through each one a little bit here. Um, I don't want to start with Shaver's MSU because that's probably my leader in the clubhouse. So let's start with Shaver's Indiana in a game that we knew wasn't going to be easy. You and I kind of forgot how dominant he was in that three three sixty six and five. I mean that's a monster game against Indiana. He was he was spot on, and then right right there with him, Nico in that game one sixty five and three. So these two are pretty high for me. It's hard for me to give them the win, though, because it's Indiana. What are your thoughts on those two performances?
1: It's hard to pick one from the other because I think they really tie, they obviously tie into each other. It's, you know, it wasn't the biggest game of the year. We thought it would be tough, but it wasn't the one you had circled on your calendar. So Indiana definitely takes away some points. And I think it's, I think the fact that they, you know, needed each other to do this takes away from one being the dominant game. Yeah, how about this?
0: Did we need that performance from these guys to win that game?
1: Could he use it the we... next week?
0: Yeah. Could have used it <laughs> the next week. Probably could've got away with the Indiana game if Shea only throws for two touchdowns and Nico only has one and the defense steps up. So that's why I'm gonna I'm gonna lean away from that Indiana game because we were pretty well in control of that game. Indiana played well, but, I mean, we showed up to play. Um, how about Ronnie Bell versus Michigan State? 150 yards receiving. That's an interesting candidate because I just went back and watched that film, and Ronnie Bell was just getting open. He's such a smooth receiver. He just works to with his quarterback to find open space and gets open, and he did that against Michigan State. He was critical in that.
1: Yeah, he finished the season leading the team in catches and receiving yards. Like, it was a monster year from Ronnie Bell. He just didn't find the end zone that often.
0: No, and against Michigan State, I mean, could we have done what we did against Michigan State without him? Yes, because Nico Collins also had a big game. So I don't want to go Bell versus Michigan State there. Josh Uche versus Illinois, three sacks, five tackles for loss. That's an interesting one. We needed him in that game because uh, the offense started to sleep in that. The defense w- had to step up, and he was big late in the game. He was a playmaker late in a lot of games, you'll find, if you go back and watch tapes.
1: He was, but then again, it is Illinois. So that's the only thing that like, we needed him big in that game, but it also kind of weighs against him the fact that it was
0: Illinois. It is Illinois, but Illinois later went on to beat Wisconsin, and that they upset a couple people. There was another upset. I mean, if you get caught looking against Illinois, we could have lost that game. Uche stepped up big late in that game, but no, I'm not going to go dominant performance of the year against Illinois. I just can't do it. The Glasgow versus Iowa one is a little bit better of a case. What do you remember about that one?
1: I remember the whole defense being exceptionally dominant in that game, and the offense just sputtering. That's what I remember, and Jordan Glasgow was clearly the anchor of that. So he is actually going to be my runner-up for the award here. I just think that performance was dominant. He was all over the field. I think he was the most underappreciated player on the defense all season.
0: I would argue him or Kalik Hudson, who when you go back through, has about 10 or 12 tackles in every game. Kalik yeah, Hudson. Led the, led the
1: team in tackles this season.
0: Lee Hudson had a great, great year for us. He just didn't have the sacks, the tackles for losses, because guys like Glasgow were taking them from him. Glasgow was huge against Iowa, but that was a whole team effort, so I agree. I'm not going to go with that one. Totally fine with you going runner-up. My runner-up is not that one. Um, Aiden Hutchinson versus Army. Ten tackles for a defensive end is absurd. One and a half for loss, half a sack. That's why I threw that on there. Uh, We needed him against Army. He was huge in that game. We probably don't win that game without him. So this has got to be in the top three for me.
1: Yeah, it has to be up there. He had that huge play. I believe it was a fourth down to stop Army within the Michigan five and obviously kept that game you know, well within reach because we needed every inch in that game.
0: I'm pretty sure he provided the pressure that led to the interception too. So yeah, we needed him in that game. So that was a big performance for me. Cam McGrone versus Notre Dame, he just flashed all game long. Uh, the stats, 13 tackles, half a sack, but he was in the backfield all day long. Um, for whatever reason, Notre Dame kept trying to pass with Ian Book. They couldn't get it done, mostly because of the pressure provided by Uche, Cam McGrone, those guys. So uh, really shows up on tape when you go back and watch that. Would we not have won it without Cam McGrone in that game? No, that's not the case. Um, we were running all over them. So hard for me to put that one in my top three.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. This is his most Devin Bush-esque game, but we didn't need it here. Ran all over Notre Dame. They weren't going to score with Michigan that night. And a great performance, but it's just kind of lost in the offense that was.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, next up, Hassan Haskins versus Notre Dame. This is my runner-up. 20 carries for 149 yards, no touchdowns. Charbonnet had both the touchdowns, but if you watch the game, it was Haskins. I was doing most of the damage. He's hurtling guys. I mean, he's up, we're up 14, and the dude is absolutely truck-sticking dudes and just shaking away from, from other coverage he was finding. He was finding seams, and we really dominated that game because of him and Charbonnet, and it was Haskins' breakout game, and he was the one that kind of controlled the flow. So this is my runner-up. I didn't even know the dude before that game, to be honest. Barely. Barely knew anything about it.
1: When, when you asked me d- most dominant performance of the season by a Michigan player, I don't even have to think it's Hassan Haskins. And I having to dig back and look at others, then maybe, oh, I could build the case here and there. But you just, knee-jerk reaction, most dominant game, Hassan Haskins immediately comes to mind. This is my winner. They had to run the ball. It was in the rain. Conditions dictated they do this, and he was the bell cow. Although Charbonnet got the touchdowns inside the goal line, Haskins was the one that set him up over and over again. They knew he was coming, and he still could not be stopped. It was the best Michigan game by a running back I can remember in 10 years. Just they knew it was coming, and they couldn't stop it. It was a big game. They needed it at home, get revenge from last season. This was my dominant performance of 2019.
0: I love it. I'm not going to argue against it. Mine is Shea Patterson versus Michigan State, the last one on the list. 24 for 33, no interceptions, 384 yards, and four touchdowns. Because it was against the bigger rival, um, that's kind of why I was going to go for it. And it was the first time he went over 300 yards, the first time he had four TDs. I mean, there was a lot of firsts there. And being against a rival that we absolutely hated, it started kind of a trend for him. He did really well against Indiana after that. Um, but I'm fine in this instance with going with Hassan Haskins. I'm totally fine with that because Shea statistically did better that than that against Indiana. Um, but I think we needed him against Michigan State more. But I definitely think we needed Hassan Haskins against Notre Dame because Shea Patterson wasn't going to throw for 300 yards in that game. Wasn't going to happen. We don't win without Hassan Haskins and McGrone in that game. So I like Haskins. I love it.
1: Yeah, no, that Shea Patterson one's fantastic to think about. I was one, maybe it was just my fault and overlooking it and not thinking about it in the offseason, about how dominant he was. But when I went back and watched that game, just blown away at the throws he's consistently making all across the field. Just complete dominance. It was, although Indiana has more numbers, although there was an interception in there in that game, Michigan State was his best game of his Michigan career, full stop.
0: I think his entire college career. Yes. Maybe his entire football career now that, you know, he probably isn't going to get a chance in the pros. So, yeah, I like that. I'm fine with going with Haskins there. That was actually my third pick or maybe my runner-up. You know, there were some other ones that I was looking at, but after watching that tape on that, I cannot argue with you here, and I won't do it.
1: (laughs) I respect your reserve, sir.
0: All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the rest of the, uh, the categories that we have as far as Michigan football. We'll do a little bit of Academy Awards as well, make our predictions there. We'll be back with that and more right after this. all right welcome back to out of the blue this is our awards podcast we are talking season awards for the michigan football team and a little bit of academy awards i'm a movie fan my good friend andy also a movie or cinephile and i like to at least touch on it this year and i would say 2019 the best year since 2017 and maybe the like even better than the 2017 as far as the quality of movies this year so we'll touch on that a little bit as well you want to go through the first category my friend
1: yeah man we'll get started with the academy awards here with best supporting actress nominees are kathy bates for richard Jewell, florence Pugh for little women lawrence dern marriage story or i'm sorry laura dern not lawrence all respect uh margot robbie for bombshell and scar for jojo rabbit
0: All right, you got a pick on this one? I know that you're way behind the times on watching these movies this year, but uh, you can go with the Golden Globe pick or whatever. Who do you think's got this one?
1: I am going to go... Who won the Golden Globe for this one? Was it Kathy Bates? Uh, Yes, she did. I'm going to go with Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Interesting. She wasn't on the screen enough in that one
0: for me and didn't really do much... To, to sell that. So I'm not going to go with that one. Um, I think that I didn't see Richard Jewell. So that's one of the few here. I didn't see Margot Robbie and bombshell is good. I could see that um, Scarlett Johansson, not getting it for um, wedding story. Cause she's a um, considered the lead. There is interesting. And Florence Pugh just throwing heat lately. I'm going to go with Kathy Bates, Richard Jewell on this one.
1: I think oh, all cool. right. You know, I, I I have no counter. <laughs> it seems <laughs> popular, but all I know is Judy Dench won for Shakespeare in Love for saying like 10 words. So, Exactly. Being on screen doesn't mean that much. No, it really
0: doesn't, but Laura Dern did not command the screen, not when compared against Adam Driver and Scarjo in that one. So I'll say that the uh, the Golden Globes hold Kathy Bates gets that one. So
1: our counterpoint, have you seen Jurassic Park? <laughs> exactly.
0: This is actually a retroactive award for her work in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Dr. <L. Howard> <laughs> right. so, uh, the Michigan counter for the supporting actress would be skill position of the year, kind of the sexy position of the year in this instance. So our nominees for skill position player of the year on the Michigan team, Ronnie Bell wide receiver, Donovan Peoples Jones wide receiver, Nico Collins wide receiver right off the bat. Shea Patterson quarterback. Zach Charbonnet running back. Hassan Haskins running back. Giles Jackson overall weapon and badass. So let's get into this, my man. Who's your skill position player of the year?
1: This is so difficult. This I hate this. Like, this is one of the questions that just gave me anxiety. Because like I oh, I don't know what to pick because Charbonnet led the team in touchdowns and rushing yards. The Hassan Haskins emergence, Nico Collins led the receivers in touchdowns while uh, Ronnie Bell led in catches and yards. So this hurt. This hurt a lot. But I'm I'm going with my gut skill position player of the year. The one that stirred the drink this season for me was Shea Patterson. <laughs> I, cool. I, I don't want to say that, but he was efficient. 3,000 yards, 23 touchdowns, 8 picks. Had some big games late in the season, had a lot of receivers drop balls that skewed his numbers even more, which is why I didn't feel comfortable going with the receiver. And for me, it was Shea Patterson. I hate this pick.
0: I don't like that pick either. I know what you're talking about. Michigan uh, had one of the highest drop rates in the entire country, which was a very surprising statistic to me because, I mean, there were some drops, but we also had some really great receivers. Uh, I cannot go with Shea Patterson here. I, I cannot do it. Um, I will go with a player. This is a field pick for me, a player that felt like when he stepped onto the field, he was the most dominant player. And at times against Michigan State and Notre Dame provided the play that absolutely broke their back. And those were our best two wins. So I don't feel too bad going with Nico Collins as the skill position player of the year. He decided to come back next year. That really helped seal it for me. He led the team in touchdowns. Um, should have been targeted more. That is not his fault that he was not targeted more. He was wide open a ton. Had less drops than a lot of the other guys. And like I said before, just felt like the most dominant player on the team. I have no problem going with Nico Collins here. I hate your pick.
1: I hate my pick, but come on. It's like he stirred the drink most of the season and was just balling. One of the most efficient years, highest passing yard seasons. The numbers are there. But the two to support yours that stand out to me the most are he had Nico Collins had seven touchdowns and averaged almost 20 yards a catch. That's absurd.
0: That is absurd. 20 yards a catch. When targeted, he was our best option. It is not his fault he was not targeted more often. So I'm okay with that one. Um, I would have been okay with almost any – Pick you had there other than Shea. You could have argued Charbonnet. You could have argued Haskins. You could have even made a Giles Jackson argument, but Shea Patterson could have been so much better. But the drop rate is, I mean, it's hard to ignore. So I'm okay with it. Yeah.
1: He had the drop rate and he still had 3,000 yards passing. And you're comparing that to running backs that, you know, had 1,300 together. So yeah. it just, Shea Patterson was, he would, God, no. Let's just move on. Let's just. <laughs>
0: Let's just move on. It could have been better. All right. The Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor. Actually, I want to say this one like somebody announcing the nominees because I think that I've got it down. So the nominees for Best Supporting Actor are Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Al Pacino, The Irishman, Joe Pesci, The Irishman, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, so Brad Pitt was your winner for the Golden Globes, but do you have a pick here for this one, Best Supporting Actor?
1: Brad Pitt. It's. I don't think he should win. I thought he was fantastic in the role, but if I were just picking what I want to see happen, I would love to see Joe Pesci win another one because I thought he was just incredibly reserved in his ferocity in The Irishman. But everything I've read, Brad Pitt's going to walk away with this. More of a career accomplishment award than anything.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. He probably will win it. He should not win it because he basically just played Brad Pitt. I mean, he played a stunt double that was just a badass. Not really much of a stretch. Um, There was no range of emotions that he showed in that like Leonardo DiCaprio did in the same movie. Um, I haven't seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or The Two Popes yet, so it's hard for me to really speak on those. But I did see The Irishman, and my favorite performance of the that I've seen is Joe Pesci and The Irishman. So I'm going to go with that, um, even though you're probably right. It probably will be Brad Pitt, and I won't be mad about that. I love Brad Pitt. As you said, he reset the the market for hot 50-year-old dudes.
1: Yeah, hot 50-year-olds are definitely in vogue right now. Look at J-Lo a couple nights ago in the Super Bowl. I rest my case.
0: Exactly, and I look 50, so this really bodes well for me. <laughs> Come on, you're like
1: a more handsome Sean McVay.
0: My God, what a guy. This is why this, is why this podcast rages on after year three.
1: <laughs> All right, to our next category, lineman of the year. Offensive and defensive are in consideration. So we have John Runyon Jr. left tackle, Ben Bredesen at left guard, Cesar Ruiz at center, Michael Anwenu at right guard, Aiden Hutchinson at D-end, Josh Uche we're throwing in here because although he did play a lot of linebacker, he also spent a lot of his time with his hand in the ground lined up at defensive end, and Quidi Pay also defensive end. Where are you going? This is an interesting
0: one. Um, Uche is The X factor there, that's why there's a question mark next to him in our doc, because if you count him as just a pure lineman, um, he's one of the best we've had in the last two years. I mean, he's been very consistent and honestly, probably underutilized. Um, So Josh Uche is an interesting one, but it's hard for me to really look at him as a pure defensive lineman because he wasn't there the whole time. So I'm going to go with guys that had their hand in the dirt every play. Um, And then it gets even more difficult. It breaks down to me. Quiddy Pays out of it. On Renews out of it. Hutchinson, Runyon, Bredesen, Ruiz, I think, are your, your top four. And then it gets really difficult to pick. Um, I think that we probably could have survived without Hutchinson, even though he was maybe the best player on defense because of what we had in Mike Dana there. So that takes it down to Runyon, Bredesen, or Ruiz. And as much as I want to say Bredesen or Runyon, Runyon, you know how high we are on Runyon. God, I tweet at draft analysis every day telling them to look at John Runyon's tape. The dude is heavily underrated. But I'm going to go with Cesar Ruiz. I'm going to believe my eyes. And that dude, you don't often see a center getting called out by the announcers, um, by the color men, because he's so dominant. and He's pulling and getting out before the running back can get into the crease. So I'm going to go with Cesar Ruiz. Consistent throughout the entire season and dominant for the second half of the season.
1: John Runyon is a god, and you will bow before him. I love it. He is the answer here. He has been our horse we've been riding. He stonewalls people. He plays the most important position on the offensive line. He did it undersized, dominant, stonewalled some of the best pass rushers in the country as you tweet at Draft Analysis <laughs> Daily. That's it. It's John Runyon Jr. no more.
0: I love it. I'm glad you picked him. Um, because we've kind of been doing some things where who should win and who you want to win for each of these. And I can assure you Cesar Ruiz will go before John Runyon in the draft, but John Runyon was vital to Michigan's success this season. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. All right, man, you want to take us to the next category?
1: Yes, sir. Best screenplay, Knives Out by Ryan Johnson, Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach. 1917, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns. Cairns? Parasite, Bong Joon Hu and Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Your thoughts?
0: This is one of the toughest categories because knives out in Parasite are too incredibly stories. Uh, Both of them had me on the edge of my seat. Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood should not be nominated for this. I love that movie as much as anyone, but nothing happens until the final three minutes. It's literally just existing in the day of the lives of these people. So no, that should not be nominated. Marriage Story is well-written, but it's basically just the story of a divorce. 1917 is great, but does it really challenge the, the 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 viewer? I don't think so. So it's between Parasite and Knives Out. and I'm not going away from Parasite here. It is one of the most just jaw-on-the-floor movies that you'll see. If you haven't seen it, get over the subtitle thing and watch it. I'm going Parasite.
1: Has a foreign film ever won a screenplay award?
0: I don't know. I don't have that information in front of me, but it should. And this one, it should be this one or Knives Out for me.
1: I like both that, like things you said, but I think it's going to be Tarantino. I think between Tarantino and Bomback, both are, I mean, well-documented scribes in the industry. Uh, what he created, though, in that world, and just all the little details about just small thematic things like the sheriff coming west and coming home with this, little subtle things tying about the guy at the end of his rope looking for the next chapter in his life, similar, similar to the Irishman dealing with the end of something. It was a very mature screenplay. And I think they're going to recognize that because when Tarantino gets nominated for screenplays, he often wins. Uh,
0: Interesting that you went with that one because that's the one that I think should not even be considered here. It's a very subtle type of screenplay, but the things that you mentioned are more like set design and costume design and thematic elements, not necessarily storytelling. And I, I think of screenplay as storytelling personally, and the best stories were Knives Out and Parasite. So,
1: and know i like I love the story though of somebody at the end of their rope looking for the next thing when you get to a point in life when you realize you're not you are not who you are, you're not who you are. Who you used to think you were you're yeah. moving on from that, and it's kind of reconciling with that and dealing with it in his own way now I, I we disagree, but I do think no I don't think it was the best of the year still, I think it was very good screenplay, but I think he wins okay, yeah, I'm
0: fine with that look, we're allowed to disagree on some things, other things will probably lead to full-on revolution
1: <laughs> that's fair if one of us was like hey listen james franklin excellent x's and o's guy we're gonna just come to blows
0: yeah like what if it were you were all aboard mccaffrey and i was all aboard milton next year i mean who knows how that would that,
1: that well, would, I mean we I- could set it up like the old espn shows with uh mark may and lou holtz one of us can speak in a list when we're judges robes and just argue against each other and
0: gavel 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 yeah, dibs on the one that can be on peyote while
1: recording. Yes, by all means. Yeah,
0: that's Lou Holtz. <laughs>
1: Next category.
0: All right, so best coaching performance. couple options here. Uh, not really that many options because it comes down to two games, the two big wins. So Josh Gaddis, his performance against Notre Dame. Josh Gaddis against Michigan State. Jim Harbaugh, overall coach against Notre Dame. Don Brown against Notre Dame held him to 10 points. Don Brown against Michigan State, held him to 10 points. And Jim Harbaugh versus Michigan State overall. So, I mean, basically, you're narrowed down to those two games. And I believe Don Brown actually allowed 14 in one of those games.
1: I would also like to nominate Don Brown against Iowa.
0: Yeah, Don Brown, Iowa needs to be in there. Good call. And that might honestly be your winner.
1: I I was like, I was looking over the thing. I was like, yeah, we might have just have to write this one in there because it was... That was quite the game.
0: Yeah, you forget about that one because it was early season, but the offense didn't show up at all. Um, so to me, this comes down to Gattis against Notre Dame or maybe Harbaugh overall against Notre Dame or Brown against Iowa. I think in Michigan State, we just out-talented them. Uh, Notre Dame may have been a more talented team. Granted, they came into our house and had to play in the elements, but we formulated a great game plan against Notre Dame. Um, but man, I'm going to have to go with the right in suggestion. I think you're right. Don Brown against Iowa. We lose that game without Don Brown.
1: Yeah, that one's – I'm torn between either going with that or going with Jim Harbaugh and Notre Dame. That's one you needed – Coming up against, I think Notre Dame was either top, think they were ninth, right inside the top ten. Michigan has to have this win. Harbaugh can't beat his rivals. This is even before Michigan State, so it's like, can we get this one done? A big game on a big stage, and he delivered because both sides of the ball delivered. And I think when something like that comes together so perfectly, it stems from the head coach. So I'm going to go with that one for the sake of variety, but I 100% support Don Brown, Iowa, because. What he did to Nate Stanley and just making them look like the bottom of the Big Ten for a team that was good, no, that was very, very impressive. They averaged 366 yards a game, and we owned them to 100 below that easily.
0: Right, right. No, I like that pick as well, um, what you were saying about Har- Harbaugh-Notre Dame. The only reason I'm going Don Brown-Iowa is because without him, we go into that Notre Dame game with three losses, and maybe the team is already given up by them.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go with that one because we do not win that game without Don Brown. So
1: Especially with the with no
0: offensive support, like you said. No offensive support in that game. So 10 points won it. So I'm going to give it to Don Brown in that one. Great call. Uh, best actress this year. I haven't seen a lot of these, but uh, Cynthia Erivo, Harriet Scarjo in Marriage Story, Sioris Ronan in Little Women. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. That's how I've always said it. Charlize <laughs> Theron and Bombshell and Renee Zellweger and Judy. Renee Zellweger was your winner at the Golden Globes. I just watched Judy the other night. Super depressing, but she's excellent in it. What's your pick here?
1: You go with the Globes. You know, we haven't seen these, so we're just going to speculate wildly. So Renee Zellweger, Judy.
0: <laughs> she was excellent in that one. I'm going to go with ScarJo Marriage Story. Once again, going with my favorite that I've seen. Uh, Charlize Theron was Megan Kelly in Bombshell. I mean, she nailed that. It was spot on, um, but I just don't know that it was as impactful of a performance as either of these, and it's between Renee and ScarJo for me. You'll probably win this one, but I'm still voting with my heart here. ScarJo, Marriage Story, she killed that.
1: I'm never never going to knock a vote for Scarlett Johansson.
0: She's amazing, man, and her in Marriage Story, as good as Adam Driver was, she really commands that performance, and uh, you just can't pick a side in this marriage. Highly recommend it maybe not one for you and the wife, but
1: no, no, our marriage is strong. We'll check it out. I, you're, you're one of the few that I've heard uh, speak more highly of her than driver. A lot of things I've read speak more highly on him.
0: Yeah, no, he was excellent in that. I thought that she was a little bit more believable and he maybe could be criticized for a little bit of overacting, uh, especially in that scene that gets tossed around a lot, you know, the big, blow-up scene there at the end Um, I thought she was more measured in her performance whereas he maybe really really went for it not a knock on Adam Driver I just prefer ScarJo's performance in that and I'm a big ScarJo fan so
1: the man likes his performances measured people you heard it here first (laughs) make sure you remember that when you
0: come at me with some unmeasured shit
1: (laughs) all right next category now we're getting into the nitty-gritty here best defensive player Josh Metellus, safety Cameron grown linebacker. Josh Uche, linebacker, hybrid, everything. Lavert Hill, corner. Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end. Dax Hill, safety. Your pick. You
0: know where I'm going with this. Last couple games of the season, I made my pick, and I'm sticking with it. I think that he's pound for pound the best player on this defense. I think next year you're going to see something like eight and a half, nine sacks from this guy. Give me Aiden Hutchinson. His dad was just elected to the Pro Bowl. He's an absolute monster. He was consistent from Army to Ohio State, whereas some people really flashed. He was absolutely consistent. The best player on this defense for me is Aiden
1: Hutchinson. His dad was not elected to the Pro Bowl. Mitch Trubisky was elected to the Pro Bowl last year. You bite your tongue. His dad is a Hall of Famer. (laughs) Pro Bowl, not Hall of Fame. You know what I meant. (laughs) <laughs> we just had to specify I can't have his dad being associated in the same kind of recognition as Mitchell um, Fair. I'm in, com- I'm in complete agreement. It's Aiden Hutchinson. For me, it was uh, really close between he and Cam McGrone just because of McGrone's impact stepping in for Josh Ross and how much he developed quickly and just came on and just commanded the middle of the defense, which a Don Brown team needs. But it's Aiden Hutchinson. He was impactful on every play put two, put three on him, he's still going to find a way to make things happen.
0: Yeah, Cameron Grone disappeared too much towards the end of the season for me. Metellus was very consistent as well, but didn't flash. You get the combination of flash plays and consistency from Aiden Hutchinson. I think that this one, he kind of wins running away. Uh, I was surprised
1: you didn't nominate your boy Kalik.
0: I love Kalik Hudson. Absolutely love Kalik Hudson. I would probably nominate him over Lavert Hill. Um, especially since he led the team in tackles. But once again, like you don't get any interceptions. You get very few sacks. You don't have the impact plays. But as far as just consistent, great defender, yeah, you're right. But is he going to get any votes
1: in this? Yeah, that's that's fair. He, he and Glasgow were both really productive, but – when it gets down to it, I guess it doesn't really matter because I feel like Aiden Hutchinson pulls away from everybody pretty easily.
0: Yeah, I would go Hutchinson 1, Uche 2, magrone 3. How do you see it?
1: I'd go magrone 2, Uche 3.
0: Fine. I'm fine with that. But Uche, I think, was underutilized. That dude, I mean, he's going to be a steal for someone in the NFL draft. So we'll talk more on that when we get to our NFL draft podcast. But all right. Now, as you said, nitty-gritty, best actor category. Very interesting this year. Um Joaquin Phoenix has been running it for his role in the Joker. Other nominees, Leo, our boy and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. I have not seen that. Jonathan Price, The Two Popes, Adam Driver in Marriage Story. How do you see this one?
1: I want Leo to win. Again, I thought he was amazing in that movie. does a ton, but I feel like it's Joaquin Phoenix's year. He's long overdue. It's um, of all the awards and scrutiny jokers come under. He's the one that's pretty bulletproof. It's like, yeah, he's incredible and he's been incredible for several years. So maybe this isn't the role we want to see him win it for, but he's going to win it for this one. I think he's
0: going to win it as well. I think that's the correct call. I'm not going to pick that for this because I think this is an area where an upset would not be that insane Um, just because the role that it is you know it's in a comic book movie and leonardo dicaprio expresses a wider range of emotion i think in once upon a time in hollywood so i'm gonna go with him but yeah joaquin phoenix in the joker is definitely deserving um that's one of the movies that i went and saw in theater and just you believe that he is that character he is arthur fleck it's a super interesting take on you know mental health and a much darker movie than we anticipated but he's been cleaning up thus far. I don't see that stopping. Probably a good call. But I'm still, yeah. I'm picking Leo for this exercise, just to be clear.
1: There we go. Yeah, Joaquin should have won for best supporting for Gladiator, should have won the lead for playing Johnny Cash and walk the line. He's long overdue. One of the best doing it.
0: Yeah, he really is. But I could also see them starting to make up for some past misses on Leo. I mean, Leo's owed a couple but he finally got his, and Joaquin's owed a couple as well, but he's not owed as many as Leonardo DiCaprio. You mentioned the two roles that he should have won for. So I could see this one going either way. It's probably Joaquin Phoenix, but watch out for the upset with Leo. All right, best offensive player. You want to run us through it?
1: Yes, sir. John Runyon Jr. at tackle, Shea Patterson at quarterback, Ronnie Bell, Nico Collins, both receivers, and Zach Charbonnet running back.
0: If you pick Shea Patterson, again, as the best offensive player, I don't know what that says about the the ceiling of our offense. Um, this one's tough. Um, you could probably throw – the fact that we have John Runyon Jr. on there or not Cesar Ruiz is probably messed up, so we should throw Cesar Ruiz on there as well. Um, so, yeah, He was my pick for offensive lineman of the year, so he should be on there. And Ben Bredesen should be on this list as well because it's hard to really separate those guys. Um Man, this one gets tough. I'm going to go with the same guy that I gave dominant performance to. Um, I'm going to, or excuse me, skill position player. I'm going to go with Nico Collins again on this one. I think that pound for pound, he's basically Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, this is a dude that one-on-one. Jeffrey Okuda had some success on it, but Jeffrey Okuda is a monster himself. And he was also getting there a half second earlier. I would love to see these two guys match up again in the NFL. Collins will play in the NFL. He's my pick for best offensive player.
1: Nico Collins got bodied by a first round pick while John Runyon Jr. stonewalled three first round picks. The answer again is John Runyon Jr.
0: Not get bodied and they schemed against Chase Young. Brother,
1: he got bodied by Okuda.
0: He did not get bodied by Okuda. He was getting there early. He played him really well. He got he got body by it, I hate like to see a couple it. pass attempts his way. This is what we were arguing walking down State Street moments after the game, hammered out of our mind, as <laughs> Nico Collins for getting bodied against Jeff Okuda for losing the game. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let that take apart from the fact that Nico Collins was the most dominant offensive player on the field for 95% of the year, but I love yeah, it.
1: Yeah, I still st- I still can't give it to a receiver that had 700 yards receiving over a lineman that was that dominant against elite talent all season. I love it. In, in all seriousness, that's that one. Not just the Okuda getting body, but he 729 yards, fine. But it's like John Runyan Jr. just day in, day out, stonewall on the left side of the line. Yeah,
0: I'm not going to argue it. I'm not going to argue, even though I said Cesar Ruiz was my pick for offensive lineman of the year, you know how hard I ride for Runyon Jr. I mean, the dude faced Epenesa, Yatur Gross Matos, Chase Young. He faced Julian O'Quara from Notre Dame. All those guys are going to play in the NFL, every single one of them. Three of them should go in the first round this year. And John Runyon stoned them all. So I don't want to sit here and and act like I'm not a Runyon supporter when I saw what he was able to do at left tackle. Now he probably moves into guard at the next level. Yes. But that dude is a stud. So I'm totally fine with that. I just feel like Nico Collins, if he would have been given the opportunity and was in a different offense with a quarterback that just throws jump balls and is a bit more of a gunslinger, Nico Collins goes for 1,312 touchdowns. I'm not going to blame him for his lack of output when a lot of that was on the quarterback and the play calling
1: Yeah. I mean, that's fair, but you know, it's just, our, I think the real best, if the, you want to say best offensive player, I think the most appropriate award would be to give it to the offensive line.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'd be totally fine with that. If you want to reward the best offensive player, it's Runyon, Bredesen, and Ruiz in tandem.
1: Yep. I'm, yeah, I'm complete agreement on that one, man. We just so we don't give the award to, Shay Patterson?
0: No, it's not Shay Patterson. Look, I'll I'll always love Shay Patterson for what he did against Michigan State, but on to the next.
1: On to the next as you said. Best director. Segue, Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Todd Phillips Joker, Sam Mendes 1917, Martin Scorsese The Irishman, Bong Joon-ho Parasite. I'll take this one for you. I think this is where you see uh, your movie Parasite get rewarded. It is bong.
0: Yeah, this is without a doubt the hardest one to pick because I think anyone other than Todd Phillips has a legitimate shot here. Um, Tarantino, just for the overall work of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, would make a lot of sense. I mean, you felt like you were in 1969 Hollywood there. Sam Mendes for 1917, that one is cleaning up. That is not going to get shot out of the Academy Awards and we haven't picked it yet for anything. So that, I mean, that's not going to hold true. This one's tough. I love Parasite and any other year I could see that winning, but I think 1917 is just such a triumph of filmmaking and what they had to do. The amount of single cut shots they did for that is going to win out here and he's going to win the award for directing. I'm going Sam Mendes, 1917.
1: I'm not going to fight you on that. As far as achievements, that is such an achievement film, and they want to reward something like that. And a win here could bode well going forward with our last category for the Oscars here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be the, the big one. But moving on in the Michigan category to Coach of the Year. This is a very tough one. So nominees are jim harbaugh and i would also like to add a little asterisk to this that he gets props for bringing in josh gaddis so if you want to reward josh gaddis you have to additionally add some props to jim harbaugh there so jim harbaugh josh gaddis don brown ed werner or chris partridge who's your coach of the year and why my
1: coach of the year is josh gaddis with a head with a hat tip to jim harbaugh the offense was completely changed and modernized and when this thing hit its stride against michigan state and indiana it was a machine even in the first halves against like ohio state besides mistakes on the field everything coaching was perfect game plan was perfect everything was were set up to succeed if dpj and then could get some more separation catch consistently shea patterson could take a snap The gods didn't favor J.K. Dobbins bouncing the ball like a basketball. A bunch of different things. But for me, it's Josh Gaddis, although you know, Ed Werner deserves credit for what he's done. But for this season, especially with the new offense, new everything, it's got to be Josh Gaddis for me.
0: I like that pick a lot. And like you said, you have to give a tip of the cap to Harbaugh for bringing him in, recognizing that changes needed to be made on the offense. But he probably should recognize that sooner. So it's hard for me to give it to Harbaugh. Uh, Don Brown makes a lot of sense because he won us the Iowa game. Uh, He was huge against Notre Dame and and Michigan State, but once again against Ohio State and Alabama, they were able to run it up on us. Ohio State, you and I have talked about ad nauseum, not entirely his fault, but I'm not going to give him the award for best coach either. Ed Werner is an interesting one. Uh, We just said in the last segment, most consistent position group of the year, so it's hard for me to really argue against him. Partridge has an argument either for the strides that special teams took this year. Khalid Hudson breaking the record and block punts. Quinn Nordine regaining his form. Punting was fine. We had Giles Jackson take one back. Uh, good special teams year this year. So to me, it comes down to Gaddis or Werner. And I'm going to go with Gaddis because he just what it meant to this program to bring this offense into the 21st century and the prospects, this is almost kind of like a future like award here because of what it does for our potential. So I, I'm fine with Gaddis. Let's go with a joint winner there with Gaddis.
1: Yeah, it, it can't be Don Brown. And although we, you know, do recreate goodwill hunting with he about the Ohio state game. It's it's, it's not your fault, Don. It's not your fault, but <laughs> Some of the blame still lies there. Getting Dax held, singled up on Jerry Judy, for God's sake. Just some small scheme things. Not being able to block zero runs when they don't pull or anybody against J.K. Dobbins. Mistakes like that knock him down. Chris Partridge honestly got knocked for me for an unfair reason. The Cleek Hudson jump off sides against Ohio State. Yeah. Nope. I'm just going to put that on coaching. I just, that one just blew me away. It's like, why is this happening? So Josh Gaddis gets it because of most of my pettiness as well.
0: So would you say Gaddis one, Werner, two, and then maybe Harbaugh or Partridge, three?
1: It's so hard for Harbaugh because he, he, you know, it's, they win, he gets some credit, they lose, he gets most of the credit. So it goes, it swings in there. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that order's correct. I, I, w- I would put Harbaugh third because of bringing in Gaddis. He even brought in Werner, brought in part. You know, these are his guys he brought in. Yeah, so he has a touch on everybody, but third overall.
0: Exactly. It's hard to hate him too much because, you know, we don't have any of these guys without him. So I'm fine with that. All right, my friend. Finishing up. Take us through it.
1: Best picture of the year. The nominees are Joker, JoJo Rabbit, Little Women, The Irishman, Ford vs. Ferrari, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, Parasite, And your winner, 1917. That's your pick? That's my pick. It's an achievement film. It was an accomplishment to make, and they like to go for the technical aspects of it. I would be shocked if Parasite won. I wouldn't hate it. But 1917 was an achievement, and that's what they like to reward here.
0: Yeah, it's hard for me to argue. That's your winner at the Golden Globes, and it checks every single box. It checks acting, storytelling, screenplay, cinematography. Um, whereas some of these other ones like Ford vs. Ferrari checks a lot of the cinematography boxes, but not really that challenging as far as acting. Uh, Little Women, I mean, you're just loaded up with great actors. Um, it's it's going to be good. Joker, you can pretty much write off this list. It's not winning Best Picture. It's not the Best Picture. I'm, I'm sorry. It's a good movie. Jojo Rabbit was a ton of fun. It's a fantastic movie. It's better than Green Book, which won last year, which... Is just kind of telling on the right timing as far as when your movie should come out. The Irishman is an incredible achievement. I mean, most people have seen that one. It's three hours long, but is it really better than Goodfellas? I would argue it's not. Um, I mean, Goodfellas is like a top 10 movie of all time, but it's also not better than Wolf of Wall Street, which he didn't win for. It's not better than Departed, which he didn't win for. So I'm not going to give it to Scorsese. He did win the Departed. Excuse me, he did win for The Departed, you're correct. But he didn't win for Blood Diamond, but that was the same year. Correct. Yeah, so there's nothing you can do about that. Um, Yeah, so I mean, there's been... He has better movies that haven't won. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could surprise some people. I mean, it's an ode to Hollywood, and these are all Hollywood people voting. I could see that. Marriage Story isn't going to do it. To me, it comes down to 1917, Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think you chose it correctly with 1917. I'm calling the upset here because I want to be on the right side of this one if I do get it right. And I'm calling Parasite. It is a movie that, like I said, had my jaw on the floor. I'm not going to tell you a thing about the movie because I knew nothing about it going in. And that's exactly how it should be viewed. And if you go in knowing nothing about this movie, it will, I mean, it, it absolutely blows your mind. It'll be one of those movie experiences you remember the rest of your life. But to me, I think you probably called it right with 1917.
1: It's going to be a fun year, man. Go Some movies to go through, look back on. Hopefully this allows Michigan fans to dive back in some of the Michigan moments. And we're going to get into the best Michigan moment now. Yeah,
0: this is the one. So Best Picture is kind of the finale for the Academy Awards. Our finale is Best Moment of the Year. And in coming up with this exercise, I mean, shit, we went deep on this exercise. You have to have a lot of, a lot of nominees for this. So I think that makes sense. But uh, do you want to r- run us through the first couple then I'll take over?
1: Yeah, man, we have 12. I'm going to run us through wait, We have 12. We have Yeah, we have 12. I'll get us through uh, six, you give us six. Got it. All right. So we have first Nico Collins beast mode touchdown against Notre Dame to go up 31 to 7. Donovan Peoples Jones once again hits the Paul Bunyan after taking a swing pass against Michigan State for a touchdown to go up 24 to 7. Hassan Haskins going gangbusters berserk against Notre Dame with the hurdle and a 40-yard run. The crowd chanting Ronnie in show of support for Ronnie Bell up 17 against Notre Dame a week after receiving death threats for his drop against Penn State. And speaking of Penn State, Jim Harbaugh saying, this is going to be Michigan's finest hour at halftime and the season just turns on its axis and Michigan shows life and saves its season. And my last one I'll announce is the forced fumble by Quidi Pay and the recovery against Army in overtime to seal the victory and save off the upset. Mm, This
0: is going to be a tough one. This is going to take some deliberation. All right, moving forward, the rest of the nominees. All right, a little bit of a preview of the future when Joe Milton connects on his first passing touchdown to Giles Jackson, Jackson against Rutgers. Uh, Once again, a Giles Jackson mention when he returns the opening touchdown against Maryland. Uh, Kalik Hudson punt block right into the next play. Nico Collins nail in the coffin touchdown catch against Sparty to go up 34 to 10. Uh, this is not necessarily a moment, but Patterson 366, five touchdowns and Collins 165, 165 and three touchdowns against Indiana, not quite a moment, more of a game. In the other two, Cornelius Johnson touchdown runs up the score in D'Antonio's last game in the rivalry, or Dylan McCaffrey to Mikey still to blow open Notre Dame. All right, let's go through this, my friend. There's a lot to pick from here.
1: All right, I am. We'll we'll walk through them. Well, uh, let's let's each str- let's try to strike one, and yeah. we'll see if there's any argument. I agree. All right, I am going to strike the first one. I announced the Nico Collins beast mode touchdown against Notre Dame. Because out of all these plays, it was the one I didn't remember first off.
0: Okay, fair enough. I remember that one well because the students were throwing a bunch of towels at Nico Collins. I know they were trying to celebrate, but that's not how you celebrate. But no, this game was in hand without that touchdown, so I'm okay with that. Okay. All right, I'm going to strike our finest hour from this. Because at the at the time, yes, it was our finest hour. But you don't finish that up with the win against Ohio State. So our finest hour meant we were going to beat Notre Dame and Michigan State.
1: If Michigan had just beaten Penn State, yeah. that would have been my moment of the year.
0: That's the moment of the year. Correct. If we finish that game. But we do not. And then we lose against Ohio State. So no, you got to strike that one.
1: Okay, I'm going to strike... Giles Jackson opening kick return touchdown against Maryland. It was a great moment to, and a kind of an announcement of Giles Jackson coming forward, but it was against Maryland. The game was not going to be close, although it did set the tone, and it was a great play. It was not the best moment of the season.
0: No, it was not, and we would have won without Giles Jackson there, so that's a fine one. Uh, I'm going to strike Joe Milton to Giles Jackson against Rutgers because it's Rutgers. I think that doesn't need any more explanation.
1: <laughs> it was a fun moment though his first passing touchdown and giles jackson's first receiving touchdown
0: it was a fun moment but if that's your best moment of the season you're in for a rough season
1: yeah that's safe to say we're not indiana um i'm gonna strike uh patterson and collins big day because as we said you know that was more of just a day not a moment so although it was the, probably the best michigan offensive performance of the season especially through the air uh not going to be the moment of the year
0: I would agree with you there. Uh, let's go ahead and strike crowd chanting Ronnie in support of Ronnie Bell uh, up 17 against Notre Dame. A great moment. I was super happy in that moment because that was coming off the Penn State loss. You go into Notre Dame, Ronnie ca- Ronnie Bell catches his first pass, and just seeing the solidarity there was a cool moment. But we weren't there in the crowd, and that did that define the season? No, it did not. So I'm going to strike that.
1: Okay, next one. I'm gonna strike DPJ with the Paul Bunyan for the second time. The first one was iconic. The second one, although fun and excellent, is not the moment of the season. No, it's
0: definitely not. Uh, now it gets tough. I'm gonna strike forced fumble and recovery to beat Army. Was that Hutchinson or Pay that did that?
1: Uh, Hutchinson had the pressure. Pay had the sack and recovery. That's
0: right. Big moment, but that was Army. We were supposed to have that game outright. Army, which is a talented team. They didn't have a great season. This was not the best Army team. We should have won that bigger. I'm going to strike it.
1: I am going to strike Dylan McCaffrey to Mike Sainer still to blow open Notre Dame. Backups were already in the game, although it was a good throw and fun to break the tackles and score. The game was out of hand. It was a garbage time score in the end.
0: I agree. I'm going to strike a similar play. Cornelius Johnson touchdown to run up the score in D'Antonio's last game. We didn't know it was D'Antonio's last game at the time, and the game was over at that point. Now, granted, that was awesome, but not necessary.
1: Oh, Alright, so we're down to the final two. The Hassan Haskins-Notre Dame game, which he's cleaned up tonight. Going berserk against Notre Dame with a hurdle in the 40-yard run. Or the sequence of Kalik Hudson blocking the punt. The next play is Shea Patterson throwing a beautiful play-action ball, high-pointing it to Nico Collins to put the nail in the coffin, 34-10 against Sparty before ultimately winning 44-10. I am striking Hassan Haskins in this case. The Michigan State game was huge. D'Antonio's last game, and what a way to put salt in the wound. You'll hear no arguments from me, my friend. We are in
0: complete agreement over the best moment of this year. It is Kalik Hudson with the punt block. The following play from about 30 yards out. Actually, it was only like 15, 17 yards out. Shea Patterson hits Nico Collins with a beast mode touchdown, makes it 34 10 against Sparty. Game is over. They couldn't muster anything. Just a moment where you feel like you are the man they are simply a schoolboy that is trying to find lunch money. It was dope. That's the winner.
1: This is a classic uh Paul Rudd hot ones moment. Look at us look at I think her. we look at us. We're here with uh Nico Collins and Shay Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm totally
0: fine with it it all kind of the cream rises to the top and i feel like the cream rose to the top with most of these awards obviously there's some things that we have some disagreements about um i feel like i'm a little upset that you were the one that was pushing for runyon when you know damn well i've been a runyon supporter this whole time
1: just read his tweet replies people you will know jared likes john runyon
0: just just follow me on twitter you'll see how much i i really push for john runyon (laughs) No, this was great. This was a great exercise, and uh, I think that it kind of speaks to the year. It's hard to find it being like a really down year when we found a lot of joy in those two games, but the flip side of that being, you're finding all your joy in just two games.
1: Yeah, it's very tough. I'm glad we could bring up the defensive prowess in the Iowa game at least, and how awesome that moment was against Army, although it was against Army. What a what a, get, what a play that was. Now, just because Michigan wasn't LSU this season doesn't make the season a loss. Just because you don't win it all doesn't make it a loss. Just because you blow the Ohio State game again doesn't wash away the whole season. There were a lot of good moments, and I'm glad we could celebrate them. Absolutely, man. And we'll touch back
0: on a little bit. We'll see how we do with the Academy Awards predictions. Uh, I think we'll do just fine this year. And, uh, you know, moving on into the offseason, we got a lot more content. We got a lot more mock drafts coming up. Josh Uche is definitely going in the first two rounds. I can't wait to talk on that and start really getting into some tape on some of these guys like Luis and Uche and Runyon and projecting them for the next round.
1: Right now, one bold take for twenty
0: twenty. Hit me. Are you I want
1: your I want yours first. One bold take for twenty twenty
0: is going to be that Dylan McCaffrey rushes for over seven hundred yards. That is a bold ass take. Seven hundred yards is a lot
1: of yards. Man, I God, I I love that. I just Now's the time of the year to throw out something bold like that. That's as many yards as Charbonnet, isn't it? <laughs> Man, I'm saying
0: that Dylan McCaffrey busts loose next year running the ball.
1: Okay. I'm going to say Aiden Hutchinson plays himself into a top 10 pick.
0: I could see it. I mean, if you want a guy on that Michigan defense that could do it, a Dax Hill is not eligible next year, it's Aiden Hutchinson. If he gets nine sacks next year, which is what I'm going to predict him at, yeah, absolutely. Love that pick.
1: I don't the Colossus know. Colossus of Rhodes, Aiden Hutchinson will not be denied. Look at the man. He's six foot
0: six. I mean, betwe- between him and Julius Welshoff, I mean, they're essentially the weight of just a freighter. So
1: yeah, more than a man, less than a god.
0: And that's where we stand next year. Uh yeah, I'm excited, man. So, so be, be some good off-season content coming. Uh, hope you enjoyed this one. That's gonna do it for us here tonight on Out of the Blue. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Andy underscore Bailey one. Although he is kind of post Twitter in his life right now at jstorm three Oh three for me on Twitter, like, share, subscribe, leave a review for all your shows and content, wherever you get your podcast searching maize and brew podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is out of the blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go.